Welcome to Junior Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. This week, we've got Ben Janya with us. I am really excited to have him here. Obviously, you may know him as one of our co-organizers or a kick-ass speaker. Uh, ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> of course. Uh, so one of the things that I love about Ben is that he is a creator. Now, obviously, a lot of us are working in software. We are creating things. Uh, for many of us, our job is to create features. But I see Ben constantly creating new projects for himself, for others, and just because he wants to see them in the world. Uh, what I'm curious about, I know that this is something that, that you do a lot now, but have you always been like this? Have you always been creating software projects? Uh, before it was software, it, a lot of others. So before even, uh, even learning to code, I was con constantly writing uh, in a journal. I've actually kept a journal with me since 2010. So that's something that I write in consistently. So I write in that. Um, I tried to publish comics. I tried to publish a graphic novel. Um, I've, I'm constantly in a, in a state of like always creating and always building. And when I got into programming, I had already loved computers and I had already loved tech as it. So by the time I got to the tech world and the giant buffet of open source software and to see, oh, you can just use this. You don't need to credit. You don't need to like totally like you don't need to like ask for permission. You can just kind of use this stuff and go go to town with it. Uh, and that's what I did. So I looked at all of the cool open source things. I look at all the tutorials and how to do X, Y and Z. And then I just said, all right, I'm just going to use all these tools and build as much stuff and whatever comes to my mind, no matter how big or small it is, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start working on it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I do notice that I think uh, people who who come to programming may not really view it as a creative craft, uh, but it totally, totally is. And I think it, it really shows in the output and the productivity of people who view it that way and, and those who don't. Yeah. Then why don't you give us a little bit more of your, your background and, and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. So uh, there is a entire JSLA video on YouTube to explain the whole gut-wrenching process of how I got into this. Um, so I'll, I'll spare you all the details. If you do want to see that, um, just Google Ben Junya JSLA on YouTube and or YouTube that and my name will pop up. But I started off as a construction salesman and uh, in between my appointments, I would go to like a coffee shop and just sit down with like, my computer and teach myself how to code. I started off with uh, Android and I learned from Team Treehouse and uh, I eventually just really loved working in code. And it got to the point where three hours would pass and I realized like, oh crap, I just, my construction sales. So one day I just decided to take the plunge. I said, all right, I'm saved up all this money. I'm going to leave my construction sales job and keep myself um, job on Android. And in those six months, um, I ended up getting my first Android job, which was just a two week contract. But after that contract was up, they said, hey, we really like you. Um, do you know JavaScript? I'm like, uh, sure. In reality, I just think so. Um, I, I was like, all right, I'll just figure this out as I go. So um, that was my big technology. And from uh, moving from that agency, I went to another agency called Team One, and I worked on Lexus.com there as primarily a front-end developer. 
Um, I learned a lot about enterprise architecture and working on a very, very large project with a large number of developers, discrete front end team, a discrete back end team, a QA team. Um, from there, I went to a couple of different startups. Um, some were great, some were not so great, but that actually pushed me from being like a junior all the way to, all right, you're, you may be kind of junior here, but you are the only person who does the front end here. So I was in a way forced to find my own mentor and uh, pretty much like find my own future. And I had to get good and teach myself a lot of stuff. Um, a lot about architecture, a lot about, um, you know, working on shipping code, uh, shipping features, shipping cool stuff. And eventually um, I worked my, my way up to a senior position um, and a head front end developer position, even though I can kind of do full stack um, since like in a startup, you got to have wear all these hats. Um, so today I'm working at a company called Staff Me Up. Um, and currently we are rebuilding a 17 year old uh it's actually a really really fascinating project this company is totally profitable and uh, it's doing super super well and we are it's needed a ui ux ux uh, refresh for a long time and so we're rebuilding it from scratch and using all the cool fun javascript technology uh react uh, typescript GraphQL, Next.js, a lot of really cool stuff, and it's super, super. Awesome. So I think we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, I'm still a little bit curious about your your background, right? So you, it sounds like you first started with some agencies, then you went to some startups, and uh, I think, and, and now you are at a, I would say, a very successful uh, mid-stage company that just is is very established on its own, just has its own direction. It's not really like on a runway or, or anything like that. What's, uh, what were the different hiring processes like? Like what, what was interviewing like? What was, how did you, yeah, from your perspective, like how did, how, how did it go getting these various jobs? Hmm. So at an agency, at an agency, it's a lot of, all right, what have you produced in the past? And show me what you've produced in the past. And how quick can you turn out this project? How can you make this work? A lot of it was just, all right, I just want to see like a large volume of work and all the cool stuff that you've built. Have you worked with these kinds of new flashy, pretty tools? You've worked with D3 before. Have you worked with um, Handlebars? Have you worked with React before? Um, when you're moving to like more of a enterprise-y um, software as a service company, uh, they really want to look for things. Yeah, what's the difference between a, a SaaS and an agency? Uh, an agency, the longevity of the project is pretty is is pretty short. Like it's it's like this thing might be alive for a month, maybe a week, a couple hours even. <laughs> uh, at a at a SaaS company, mm -hmm. you have you have a production environment which is already live, and that it that can't go down because as soon as that production environment goes down. The company starts losing money. So uh, a lot of the, so you, you have to code in a really safe manner. You have to do your tests. You have to have your integration tests. And depending on what you're doing, you may have more integration tests or you may have more unit tests. It really, it really depends. Um, the, and that's something that they look for in the um, interview? Sometimes. It, just, it really depends on that organization. So I've been at some companies where they are a SaaS company and they don't have any tests at all. Um, but I've been at other mm. SaaS companies where they're like, yeah, testing is our biggest, most, 
most important priority. We cannot have this thing fall apart. We have so many people who are relying on us. This can't fall down. So it really depends. Mm -hmm. So so interviewing for an agency versus uh, a SaaS platform. So so the agency seems to concentrate more on volume of work or or speed or something like yeah. that. Maybe different types of like how flexible you are. Yeah, I would definitely say the speed, the volume, and how how flashy. A lot of these companies they just add campaigns that these sites are only going to be up for just a little bit, and they just need to wow the user so that they can just get like good click through rate and get they can sell all the things for a SaaS company. I mean, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. nice to have the flashy and the pretty, but it's not the most important part. The most important part at a SaaS company is, does it work and does it do what it's expected? Because that's what we're getting. Yeah. So maybe more, yeah, maybe more code quality, maybe more maintainability, stability. Totally right. Yeah. That's interesting. And so um, would you, let's just say that, that you were, so your path started with uh, agencies. Is that is that a path that you think you would recommend? Or do you think uh, SaaS companies are a better place to start start out? Hmm. That's a really great question. Uh, I would say I think agencies are a great place. And it just might be B, being biased mm-hmm. here because that's how I started out. But I really enjoyed agency. Um, I absolutely loved mm-hmm. it. And the reason why I loved it is because I got to work on three or four different interesting projects. And I'd have to not only just juggle these projects, but I would get to work with uh, directly with the creatives and we would get like very, very creative, very kind of experimental, kind of funky. Uh, we're like, oh, what if we had this button that just flew in from the right side and then when they clicked it, played music. We're like, yeah, that sounds rad. Let's do it. But if you're doing like a finance software as a service company that's just doing invoice, like if you say that in a meeting, they're like, what the hell is going Like, why would I have music? I'm trying to just get my invoices out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like let's not get creative <laughs> yeah. here. Um, so yeah, so it sounds like agencies are are uh, they offer up a pretty good way to skill up that iteration, that that you know trying new things, and that sounds pretty useful. So let's uh, let's go go back to the present day. Uh, so obviously you're an accomplished software engineer, published a number of open source projects, a book on modern JavaScript. What's a typical day like for you? Let's see, a typical day. Um, so I don't know how deep we want to get in, but I really, oh, real right, deep. So I get up super early. <laughs> I love to get a good workout in the morning just because it just gets me, it just gets me going. Um, like coming into the office after like a really intense heavy lifting session and like 30 to 45 minutes worth of cardio, and eating a healthy breakfast, uh, getting into the office, um, or getting into my office, which is 10 feet away from my bed um, is really nice. I really enjoy that. And if I have to lift weights, I'll lift it in the living room or I'll go running outside. Um, I love it. And just sitting down, like knowing that, all right, the hardest part of my day of uh, working out is over. I just have to concentrate on code. And I don't know what it is about muscle exhaustion and programming, but feeling like a little sore when you have to like dig into code actually feels kind of nice. Like, like, oh, cool. I got my protein in. I got like, you know, some healthy fats, some peanut butter, and I had some eggs and spinach. Like, I'm ready and raring to kick some butt right, right now. <laughs> so I'll sit down. Yeah. So I'll sit awesome. down. I try to start working a little bit before a daily stand up meeting. Um, so I'll try to get on an hour before and actually get a little bit of coding done so I can see 
what my day looks like for the rest of the day. Now, depending on the day, sometimes it's a really heavy meeting day, sometimes it's a flight meeting day, but I always try to give myself at least two hours where I can completely just dedicate myself to code, where I'll just shut off Slack, I will put my phone on silent, um, I'll shut off any sort of distraction, and my sole focus for these two hours each day is just code. Sometimes it's only two hours, sometimes it's six hours, uh, but it just really depends. Usually I can go for about two and a half hours without stopping, but at about that two and a half hour mark, I'll start to get a little bit um, and say like, all right, I need to like go for a walk, um, grab lunch or whatever. Uh, and after the work day is done, um, depending on how much steam I have left, let's say it's a, like a heavy meeting day or talking a lot and trying to work with product owners to get requirements myself. But I'll, um, I'll also, uh, if, if I haven't done a lot of coding that, that day at night, I might work on a side project or I might work on some writing or I might go play some music. Um, I, I play marimba. Um, I, my, my degrees in my degrees in music. So sometimes I'll just play a little bit of marimba just to get it out of my system or I'll play video games because video games are awesome. And they're a big part of my life when I was growing up. Um, it, I'll admit that video game music, um, was really interesting. Yeah. You were just, uh, yeah, you were just talking about how final fantasy seven, uh, oh, remake so is pretty good. awesome. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great. It plays great. Um, and Video games can actually teach you a lot about UX. It really, really can. And I think that's... Yeah, what's really interesting about every video game has to come up with its own UX and its own interface. Mm -hmm. And they often are very creative. They're really trying to fit it, like very tailor-made for what they're trying to do. And so it's pretty interesting to see how, how the envelopes push. I definitely agree with you there. So... You talked about your day. You talked about how how it's organized on the outside. One of the things that was interesting to me is is it sounded like a big part of your day can often be requirements gathering. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that's like? Sure. So uh, what will happen is I'll get a, a mock-up or a comp from a designer and I'll look through it with a, I'll, I'll look, I'll go through it with a pretty fine-tooth comb. Um, I'll say, all right, let, let's, let's talk about this. And you know, will have, Sometimes the, the designer or the product owner will have documentation about, hey, this is what needs to do. Um, in the case of Staff Me Up, because we do have a legacy site, we can reference the previous functionality that we're rebuilding. Um, so I'll even go back and look at legacy, see how this thing works and how it was built. Uh, what I like to do is I like to put myself in the shoe and I like will go through each field, like let's say we need to build a form with validate, which is something that every front-end developer has to do at one. I'll go through side of the form and I'll look at it through a couple of different lenses. I'll look at it, the most important lenses because that's who we're building this. I'll look at this through the lens of a user and I'll note, hey, like what if I skip this field? What if this is missing? What if that's missing? Um, what if I decide to bail out of here? Um, is the information going to be saved? Where is that information going to be? Um, the next person I'll look at this through the lens of is a product owner. Why do I want this user to go through this form? What information am I, am I trying to gather from? And then I'll also look at the form from the view of the backend. Like, all right, I get this kind of data. How would I like this data? In what format would the data be to make this easiest for me on the backend? For me to insert this to a row or to insert this into a table or multiple tables. Um, that's always the way I'm thinking. And 
sometimes in meetings, depending, it, it's all context dependent and seeing how everybody is absorbing. I'll sometimes say, all right, so, hey team, let's just take a minute to go through this step-by-step step and I'll just role play a user going through this form and you know we'll see if we can catch any. So I'll say, all right, user clicks on this form. They know it's required, but they tab out of this field. Um, because this is a required field and they tabbed out, then we want to show the error state here, right? Oh yeah. Oh, actually, no, we actually want to show a pop-up here. That's usually a great spot where we start to find where these extra requirements that may have been dug away in documentation or may have dug, been dug away in somebody else's mind. Um, and so when we find these mm -hmm. things, we write them down immediately, and then those get turned into either tickets or some sort of like task management system, Jira, Trello, um, Todoist, whatever you use uh, for organizing all of your thoughts. And then that just gets to, to um, that's how I that's how I do my request. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important there is the this idea of, you know, I think generally I would call it thinking, but everyone you believes that they're always thinking it's like what do you mean think like uh, i'm a human i'm thinking all the time but when i say that i mean it in terms of what what separates humans from other animals it's actually trying to simulate out into the future right mm -hmm. and and i think what is so important about what you're talking about is you are doing that from multiple perspectives and you are really trying to walk through okay let's say this exists what's actually going to happen um, what, what, what kind of problems are we going to run into? And when you were, when you were a bit more junior, did you, did you think this way or is this something that you picked up over time? This is definitely something I picked up over time. Um, back when I was just kind of starting out, I'll admit that I wasn't really the best at proofreading and I really wasn't the best at reading through the tickets or the documentation. I just wasn't, and I wasn't very thorough with it. Um, and that action that I took when I, you know, wasn't as wise or wasn't as experienced. Um, I saw the impact of that action on others. Uh, the main thing I saw were product owners were like, who is this person? Like, they're not detail oriented. They just are not doing this. Like, what's going on with that? And sometimes feelings like would get hurt um, because they would just say, oh, like, oh, this person just doesn't care. They just want to crank stuff, crank, crank stuff out and then go to, then go home. When that really wasn't the case. So for me, I really try to take a lot of attention to detail. I'm definitely not perfect. I still miss things left and right. Um, but uh, this style of what it really is at the end of the day is just having empathy and putting yourself in the product owner's shoes, the backend engineer's shoes, the um, user's shoes, is putting yourself in that situation to, to make sure that you have everything that you need and you know what you need to build to knock this out of the park. Um, that's mm -hmm. something that I really, really feel only comes with time. Like that's something that is learned through doing this a lot, doing this through years and years because your people are all a little bit, actually, I wouldn't even say a little bit. People are very, very different. Um, by working on different teams and interacting with you know different products and customers, you know, different designers and different product owners, you're going to find that everybody communicates in a wildly different way. I can say something very bluntly to some to one person and they'll be totally fine with it, but I can for some people they don't operate very well that way. So knowing your audience and knowing that you can tailor your words to best get your points across to that person um, is something that 
I've definitely learned over time. And the older I get, the more I learn how crucial and how important being an empathetic and compassionate communicator. Mm, that's really interesting. So, so, so this obviously improves with time. Uh, as you spend more time, you get more senior, you're going to pick this up. But do you think that there are ways that people can do this faster or get better at this without just waiting for it to happen? I strongly believe there is. Uh, there's a couple of books I recommend. Um, one of them is an audiobook, and this audiobook totally rocked my rocked my world when I listened to it. It's called Nonviolent Communication. Um, it is a fantastic audiobook. Uh, you should definitely look for the one where you'll see a hand making a peace sign uh, on the cover of it. And uh, uh, Dr. Rosenberg is narrating the book himself. So not only do you hear what he's saying, but you're hearing how he's saying it. And it talks about um, identifying people's needs, addressing those needs. Uh, and that's something really, really important when it comes to requirements, because requirements are needs. So what you're really doing in a requirements gathering session is you're gathering what are people's needs and how do I address them? Yeah. So we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and so. So what about the the thinking about the different edge cases and being able to run that simulation of how it is in the future? Is that something that people can get better at? Hmm. Yes, it can. I would say to learn about more edge cases, you have to constantly be building stuff. Uh, if you just... Mm. So I've like... One thing I really love about programming, if you can think it, you can... So you don't really have to wait for anyone. You just can build whatever you want. If there's a cool tool out there that you can go and play with, you can just go ahead and play with it. The more you play with code and the more you play with the tools, the more nuances, the more edge cases, and the more kind of like funkiness you'll you'll find um, with playing with those libraries. Like for instance, React hooks are a relatively new thing. And um, there's a lot of quirks that come with using use state versus use reducer. And there are some times where you can actually dispatch an event with use reducer and this, the component actually won't re-render because if the state stays the same from a dispatch event when you're using use reducer, um, it won't even, even re-render. But set state actually always does a re-render. Even if you pass in like an empty object or whatever, it will always, it'll always choose to re-render. So those little nuances like that and those little like, tricks that you can kind of keep in the back of your head um, are, are, are um, things that, uh, let me gather my thoughts. So those little nuances and those little tricks can only come, can come from, maybe it'll come from working on projects, but at work, or maybe it's from your own project, but regardless, you have to build it. You have to build it in order to discover those nuances and that weirdness. And that's, and knowing those nuances and that weird, weirdness will lead to you thinking three steps ahead in these sessions where, oh, there's an edge case here. What if the user hits tab? Oh, we didn't even account for tab index here. And this library does this weird thing whenever you hit tab. Like those are really great things, great things. to um, Material UI has a lot of opinions and a lot of nuance. We're using it. I, I use Material UI every day. And you know, one of the weird things in Material UI is if you pass an empty string to a label, it'll create like a 
weird empty notch at the top of your input fields on a form control. So like, you know, normally you would think, oh, I'm passing in a falsy value. It should just close that on an outline input, but that's not the case. So accounting and mm. seeing those, you know, weird little nuances and those weird little quirks um, is just something that you get through building. And I wouldn't say it's like a time thing. It's more of a, you just have to play with the code. And I say play because mm -hmm. you really are playing. You are experimenting and you're goofing around. You're just having a good time with it. Um, you learn, I, I view coding a lot at coding and learning a lot like play. Because when you play with something, you learn the limitations of it. You learn how far you can take it. You can learn what it can or cannot do. Um, so right now you're working on this big conversion project. We talked a little bit about how some of your day goes to requirements gathering. I think that is super important. Uh, I'm almost so curious about what else is going into that. So what are some of the challenges you're dealing with in a project like this? And how are you thinking about that? How are you solving those? Um, a lot of the challenges in this project are definitely, I would say, we're tr we have to make this thing work with our old data. We have lots and lots of previous users, and once we make the switch, like you know, we have to keep all those users happy, and we have to make sure that their login still works and their um, data is preserved and all that. And how our database is structured is that it has quite a few restrictions built in. Um, our our backend guy who's absolutely fantastic has really put a lot of love and care into making sure the data is very clean and very structured. Um, but that makes it a little bit not super flexible. Uh, stiff is the right word. Um, so mm -hmm. the beautiful part about JavaScript is that it is very really, really flexible length that can kind of shape and shift to accommodate whatever need that you need to address or whatever requirement that you're trying to fulfill. So knowing that there's a bunch of database restrictions and knowing that the backend has to do like a little bit extra work, um, one thing that I always tell um, my backend team is I always tell them, hey, what's the easiest way for me to send this data to you? How can I help you make this easier? Because I know that you're dealing with a pretty restrictive backend. You have a lot of stuff to wire up from old to new. So how can I help you make that transition as um, smoothly as possible? And it's, it's definitely challenging knowing that the database has all these restrictions um, and that there's like a lot of these you know, older business rules from the 17th site um, but it's also really cool coming in as like the pair of fresh eyes of this project and seeing, hey, like what you're saying, Ben, would totally make sense. But we actually tried that six years ago and it didn't work because X, Y, and Z. So it's like, oh, like you did try the thing that, you know, I thought was, um, and well, it's a learning experience for me. And, you know, you get to look at the old data and see like, hey, this is why it didn't work. And it's like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So yeah, it is challenging where you got to think outside the box and you got to, you know, sometimes you got to hack some things for here and there. But at the end of the day, like people don't want to pay for things that don't work. So you got to ship good, mm -hmm. you got to ship software that works. Very true. Very true. So before we talked about interviewing for jobs, obviously you've been on both sides of that table. What do you look for when you're evaluating someone for your team? I look for thoughtfulness. <laughs> I look for a lot. Of, I actually try to grill as much on soft skills as um, 
One of my favorite mm. questions I love to ask people is, so David, let's say you and I have a disagreement on how to build this. And I'm very, very adamant on method A, but you're also very adamant on that. How would you resolve this difference? And the worst thing you could possibly say is, oh, well, I just go with whatever you had because you know, you're, you've been here longer and you're more senior. You're my boss, right? Like that's probably the worst answer you can give for that. Um, so why do you hate that answer? Because so it much? just, it's one, it's undermining your own intellect and your own skill. It's just saying, oh, just because you have a better title than me and you've been at the company longer means you're automatically right. No, that's not the case. Uh, what I'm really looking for is someone who can back up their answer with facts, with article, with evidence to say, hey, I would build it like this because I looked at this article, I looked at this official documentation, I looked at this pattern, I used it in this project before, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you can back it up with facts and prove me wrong, I would absolutely say, absolutely, like your method is way better. Um, but on the other side, if if I was to say, no, like this is my evidence I'm bringing to the table, if they were, if they have been successfully been proven wrong and they're able to stomach it, but without taking it personally, that's a, that's a sign of a really great, of somebody who can say, Hey, I'm not going to take it personally. I am not my code. I totally understand that I was wrong and you were right. Let's do it that way because it's not me against you. It's us working together. And that's something I really, really look for that thoughtfulness and that um, humility is something I really look for. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think uh, something that comes up a lot of the time is that strong identification with a proposal, right? This is my idea. And if you don't like my idea, that means you don't like me. Or if this idea isn't the best, then it means I'm not the best. And obviously, that's not what's going on there, right? Like you say, you're both on the same team, you're both trying to figure out which idea or which way forward is the best for everyone. And it really doesn't matter as much whose who's it is. You're just, you, you want to have the best one win. For me, I think that's, that's really important. It's, and what I always want when trying to figure out which one is the best, it's, I think it's really easy when you identify strongly with an idea that you become blind to the perspective of the other side. And so for me, whenever, whenever I wind up in a situation like that, what I'm always waiting for is, is the other person to show that they understand the merits of the other proposal and the disadvantages of their proposal. Even if the, the merits are not strong enough or the disadvantages aren't weak enough, just the idea that they're considering it. Because I think a lot of people will only think about just one side of the, their issue. Like they, their perspective is so narrow that all they're doing is, no, we should definitely use X because it's so great. It's like, it's the fastest. And it's like, okay, but why shouldn't we use X? And it's like, but it's so fast, we should just use it. And it's like, no, 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 there's, there's more sides to this. Even... Even if you're the disadvantage that you come up with, even if you, you only come up with one, but you should be able to come up with plenty. But even if all you come up with is it'll take an extra day to implement, just say that. Like if you are not saying any of the disadvantages, well, then to me, that just means that you're not being thoughtful. And 
there's plenty of other things that you're not being thoughtful about and I can't really trust your proposal. Um, so I do think that's a really, that's a really good one. Uh, what else, what else do you look for when, when evaluating someone for your team? I, I look for, I definitely look for code samples and I definitely look for like, does this person like to create and what's the last thing that they built and where do they like to experiment? That gets me an idea of what does this person like to build in their free time? Like everybody has a, everybody has a path of how they get into software program, um, whether they went to school for it, whether they went to camp for it, or whether they taught themselves. Um, and just kind of looking at somebody's list of projects or GitHub portfolio or whatever they did in their bootcamp is a nice little window of seeing, hey, how does this person, um, uh, it, it's not, looking at a person's past project is, is a nice little window into what makes this person tick and what makes this, uh, mm-hmm. what, what makes this interesting? Um, what makes programming interesting to this person? And sometimes you'll find cool things like, oh, I built an app that finds all the nearest taco trucks and rates the taco trucks from Yelp. Like, all right, that's pretty cool. Like this person, um, first off, really likes tacos and has an interest in, um, just has like an interest in maybe just good food or maybe just like geolocation. Um, all those, you know, cool, interesting APIs. Maybe they built it in React Native. Maybe they built it in the web or maybe they built it in React Native web like combining all the things together. So it's just one darn platform and a monolith. But it's just really cool to see um, what people have come up with and people's creativity and how they like to um, express themselves with code. Um, that's definitely something that I I look into. And um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so let's say you were starting out right now. Like you, let's just say you just graduated from a boot camp. What would you do to land your first Don't gig? Don't stop building. Keep on building stuff. That is probably the best advice I can give. Most boot camps, they would give you, all right, you're going to do these three projects and put them on your resume, and it's going to look just like every other boot camp graduate's resume. It's painful to look at. So all I will say to anyone who gets out of a boot camp is to keep on building. You're not done after your, after your boot camp's over. You're not done. You still need to build, you still need to create, and you need to find some way to enjoy, I like to call it the suck, or because a lot of programming is frustration. Every day, you're going to be asked to do something never done before. And that's partially terrifying, but to me, that's extremely exciting. And getting comfortable with this uncomfortable uncertainty you're going to have where I'm going to go into the day and I have to connect to three different SQL databases in parallel. I've never had to do that before, but that's how this is set up. I'm not saying staff me up is set that way. It's definitely not, but you never know like what's going to happen. And you're always going to be asked to do something that you have never done before, but somebody has done it before in the past. And that's why we have all these great tools like Stack Overflow, but get comfortable with being uncomfortable and get comfortable get used to this kind of frustration and learn to work through that frustration, to work through those feelings of fear and uncertainty so that you can build more. And the more stuff that you build, that is by far the best way to level yourself up. Uh, I, I, I get a lot of emails and a lot of instant messages from fresh bootcamp grads who ask me this question all the time. And my answer is always the same. It's like, build more, 
you just got to keep on building, man. Just keep on building and get comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling of constantly building. And you can, I like to correlate this to drawing and I'm by no means at all good at drawing. I can draw some stick figures and maybe some, but you can ask what kind of pencil should I buy? What kind of paper should I write on? What kind of uh, site should I use to make still lifes? Like you can ask all of those questions, but the best way to get better at drawing is by drawing. The same thing happens with coding. Oh, what's the first programming language I should learn? What's the best IDE? What kind of laptop should I use? Those questions are fine, but the best way to get better at coding is to code, to build, create. You have all of these tools at your disposal and this, and you don't need anyone's permission to use any of them. You can just go ahead and use all of these amazing free tools on the internet and learn pretty much whatever you want. Um, do it, take advantage of it, enjoy it and revel yourself in it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, that's a, that's a, I like that angle, right? I think I actually have a a post up on my, on one of my sites that is all about, should I use React or Vue? Uh, At a point, at a certain point in time, that was a ton of the questions that we were getting at uh, Node School, right? You got, got people who are new and they feel that, okay, I'm starting out. I don't want to, I don't want to go down a path that is going to, be a disservice, right? I want to start out on the right foot. So I hear React is really popular, but also there's this thing called Vue. People really like it. So uh, I got to learn one. You know, it's very difficult to learn both at the same time. You know, I'm not going to have a project that's both React and Vue and I don't want to screw up. So which one should I use, right? They think it's, they think that is a really important question. And I I get it. I understand why. But the truth is, for so many of these tools, technologies, frameworks, you have time and you're using them is how you can form an opinion about which one works best for you. And I think a lot of people uh, who have used React have tried Vue. And if they haven't, it's because React is working great for them. If they don't have a problem with React, they don't have a big incentive to use Vue. But if they have this nagging sensation that React is not exactly the best fit for them, then they're going to try Vue and they might think, oh, wow, this is so much better. I'm never going back. And I know that that's totally happened. But when you're starting out, just try one, right? Like you say, it's 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 almost ridiculous to hear the <laughs> those questions of, Hey, I want to start drawing. What pencil should I use? It's just, that's not really what you need to worry about right now. Right. Similarly, I want to get in shape. What, should I buy Nike or Reebok? It's like, that <laughs> is the least important thing that is stopping you from, from running, right? You, you just open your front door and you go, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I completely agree yeah. with you. So with all of that said, uh, if you, if you know, looking to the future, I'm curious what you're excited to play with. Let's say, let's say you had a project coming up. Uh, you didn't have to worry about tech landmines or something biting you while the thing is in production. You can use anything you want. What technology or technologies would you want to play with? Uh, I would love to pick up Svelte. I, I haven't played with it that much. I just went through the online tutorial. I didn't even install it on my local, but I think it's really exciting. Um, I think it's like, it's no virtual DOM, um, but all of the stuff is done at, I think, compile time, like it's compiled and then deployed uh, static. I would totally use Svelte. Um, I think it looks 
awesome. And just like the the syntax of it and how it is kind of laid out um, looks a lot like the good old playing ML days. And I mean, call it like nostalgia goggles or, or uh, call it nostalgia goggles, but there's just something really fun about just working with plain HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Like just, all right, I'm just going to use these three things. That's kind of what, I mean, even mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you look at a React project, that's all it is. Um, but it's cool to see, um, it's cool to see Svelte and I would definitely want to pick up, pick up more and learn more about it. Awesome. Well, I think that's about it. Um, so how how can people connect with you? I think you're pretty active on Twitter. Uh, you've got a site. Yeah, uh, you can um, check out my Medium. So my username on Medium is Mr. MrBenJ. Uh, on Twitter, you can get a hold of me at, at MrBenJ5. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I don't post a ton of stuff stuff but if you do dm me i'll get back to you on like a work day um yeah i'd say those are those two are the best ways to get a hold of me and of course the jsla slack i'm quite active in there and happy to help out i was gonna say that's, that's probably, probably the best a good one. one that pre- probably the the fastest way to get a hold of me and uh if you do want to talk to me uh personally um you can always reach me on my personal email it's bjunya at g all right folks that's it. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniour.io. I'll also put that in the show notes, and you can get more information about joining our private community. Thanks, everyone.